It is a it is a great joy to welcome all of you here this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Chad, and I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here. Uh, and you know, today is always uh, a unique privilege as we begin just to celebrate the reality that Jesus is alive. Right? I mean, that is absolutely earth shattering news for us this morning. Uh, and we don't really want to talk about that in just a, a merely historical way this morning. We want it to be personal. We want it to be real. We want it to be impactful uh, for us in our personal everyday lives. And so this morning uh, we are going to look at John's resurrection account in John chapter 20. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black pew Bible somewhere around you. Uh, and I think in the pew Bibles, it is found on page 906, what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, I'm excited this morning because uh, Easter is an amazing privilege for us to be able to celebrate as Christians. It really does hold us together, um, all of our hopes, all of our faith, all of our trust is rooted in the fact that Jesus is alive. Um, I was talking to a neighbor yesterday and he said that today is like our Super Bowl. And I said, that's absolutely right. I mean, everybody knows that today uh, is a special day. Um, and I love it because it's impossible to overstate the importance of the resurrection, right? I mean, we can understate it, um, but we live in a world that is full of hype and, and a world that's full of hyperbole, like where daily you encounter ads like for a dishwasher that will change your life, right? Um, sporting events every week have a battle of the century, you know, even though last night's game was really good, there's going to be another one on Monday night, right? We just live in this world that's always promising something and under-delivering. Well, the resurrection is not like that. The resurrection, it's impossible to overstate the importance of it. Days like today, all Christians around the world are celebrating the fact that God became a man, that He came into the world that he lived the life that we could never live. He died on a cross and he defeated sin, Satan and death and the grave. And those implications for us this morning cannot be overstated. So every church around the world, from the largest in Seoul, South Korea, to the smallest gathering of believers in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they have to gather to whisper the truth, that Jesus is alive. Christians around the world are united that Jesus is alive. So that transcends everything. This is more than a denominational thing. This is a human thing. And the resurrection this morning tells us that God is not finished with humanity, that God is not finished with this planet. And more importantly for everyone in this room, God is not finished with you. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is meant to transform your life this morning. I want to begin by reading this quote from N.T. Wright, and he says this about the resurrection. He says, The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. 
that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But... If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely just because it isn't about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. So this means the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. It means that this world matters. It means that your life matters. And that means that God has a plan in place for this world to see the victory of Jesus applied to every aspect of life. You cannot overstate the importance of this. The resurrection is not a religious add-on. It stands at the heart of all that we are as Christians. And so we're going to look at how that victory of Jesus over the grave affects individuals. As we look at John chapter 20, we're going to see that that God not only inspires the, the truth of Scripture, but the way that it unfolds, right? It unfolds in a story. And it unfolds in people's everyday lives and it begins to affect them. And we're supposed to be pulled into the story and pulled into the drama so that the power of that first Easter morning is transferred into our lives by faith. So if you are able, could you stand with me as we read John chapter 20? We're going to work our way through most of the chapter this morning, but I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 10. Listen to the central hope of the Christian faith. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we want so much right now to see with new eyes. I pray that you would help us to enter into this story 
by faith that you would help us to personally encounter with the eyes of our hearts the resurrected Jesus, to see his power displayed and at work in our lives. To do that, we need your help to pay attention. We know it's very easy for our minds to drift and our minds to wander. I pray that just over the next several minutes that you would help us to pay attention. That you would speak very directly into our hearts and into our lives and into our story. So to do that, we need the Holy Spirit to come and be active among us. To help us have ears to hear. Father, I need your help to proclaim this word to this church that I love pray that you would help us to experience the same message of that first resurrection morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of the first things to notice um, about John chapter 20 is that it is a, a historical event, right? This is something that's not just a myth or a fable or a story, although sometimes we can imagine it that way. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he talks about the Gospels and the unique nature of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how they're totally unique among ancient literature. These books, they're, they're not like anything else. And there was a period of his life where he was not a believer in Jesus. He was totally uh, against things of faith. He considered himself an atheist. And uh, he, he considered the books of the New Testament mo- mostly like legends or myths that he would read like Homer and Iliad, the Iliad and the Odyssey until he began to read them for the first time. And much like ancient literature, just like today, like if you picked up a a book today, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out what kind of literature it was. If you were reading a mystery, you would know it's a mystery. If you were reading a biography, you would know it was a biography. And what C.S. Lewis discovered as he began to read these scriptures, the, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they weren't communicated like a myth or a legend. They were totally unique at this time. They were meant to be eyewitness accounts of what had happened. And so what we're going to account is real history, right? It's important for us to understand that this isn't just um, something that's mythical, but it's something that's in history. And we're meant to come face to face with what took place on that first resurrection morning, this first empty tomb. So look at all the details that it describes here. It says that this verse one, it said on the first day of the week. Right. This is significant because like you notice throughout church history, you are here on a Sunday morning. Right. Devout Jews would worship on Saturday. The day of worship moved from Saturday to Sunday. That's an important historical detail. The stone had been rolled away. There was really an empty tomb, right? I mean, historians across all time and history are almost always united on the fact that something really did happen in Jerusalem. There really is an empty grave. There really is an empty tomb. And it's that empty tomb that we're to come face to face with this morning. So what will we say about that empty tomb And more importantly, what will that empty tomb say about us? This is a real historical event that is meant to impact our lives. And then I like John is writing. He is a guy. He is writing in the third person. But look at verses four and eight with me. 
He's taking a little jab at Peter. He says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Can you see a little guy humor in verse four? He he says that same thing in verse eight. The other disciple who reached the tomb first. Right. So he's he's communicating the the truth of the resurrection in such a way. Um, He's 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 communicating the details because the details really happen. And the details matter because in those details, there is real power, right? There was an empty grave. In that description, in those first few verses, it says that Mary Magdalene came very early on the first day of the week. I mean, she is an unlikely witness to an empty grave. It says that Jesus had taken off the, 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 the mask that was covering up his face and he folded and he put it off to the side because he wasn't going to need that anymore. The reality is that, that these facts are meant to change everything for us. The reality is that this day, above all days, is supposed to impact our lives because Jesus really did defeat sin, death, in the grave. There really is an empty tomb. Everything for the Christian hinges on the fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. So most of us probably have at least heard this story a number of times, but you have to imagine how Mary entered the tomb that first day. I mean, the smell of death was in the air. She wasn't expecting to see an empty grave and a risen Savior. Death had cast a shadow and death had created a sting over all humanity from the very first person all the way up until Jesus defeated death. So what we can learn from just that that first interaction there is that the resurrection comes to people who need hope. The resurrection comes to people that need life. It's not for people that have it all together and just need a little religious add-on. This is for people that need resurrection. This is for people that really need life. This is for people that, that need the power of the risen God in their life. So, so if you're here this morning and, and you just need a, a little push over the top, the resurrection is not going to help you at all. But if you're here and you need real power and real life to enter your body through the power of Jesus... Right. That the resurrection has something to say to you. The resurrection is where Jesus's life becomes our life. Right. And I think in America, like as Christians, most of the time we live with about half of the gospel. Like if you were to describe what's the central message of Christianity, a lot of us would say something like I used to teach my kids the gospel this way. Jesus died for my sins. Right? Is that true? It is true. He died for our sins. You feel free to respond. Um, (laughs) Jesus died for my sins. So we have just that truth, right? But most of the time we, we functionally live with that awareness, right? So Jesus's death washes our slate clean, right? We have a clean slate because of Jesus. And as I was thinking about the empty grave and its implications for us, I was thinking... Uh, about the children's story that I used to read my kids when they were small called Dangerous Journey. So I'm going to have some illustrations for you that should be up on the screen. This is the story of Christian. 
This is a, 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 a simple retelling of the classic tale, Pilgrim's Progress. This is Christian. He is reading a book, and that represents Scripture. And he becomes aware of the fact that he's living in the city of destruction. He becomes aware of the burden of sin, right? You see that burden? Most of us know what that burden feels like, right? So he, he becomes aware that of the burden of sin, and he doesn't know what to do. He can't sleep. He can't eat. His wife thinks he's lost his mind until he finally begins to come across some people that can help him. He meets a man called Evangelist. And the Evangelist says, hey, can you see a light far off in the distance? He says, can you see the yonder wicket gate that's way back there? He says, I think I do. And so he starts making his way towards the light. And he has some trouble getting there. But then as he goes to this wicket gate, he comes upon the cross. And as he looks at the cross... His burden falls away. So most of us, right, are aware of seeing the forgiveness of Jesus. But while this picture is really important is see where the burden goes. It gets swallowed up in the empty grave, right? It's swallowed up forever. And so how I want and then you can see this picture of just the joy that comes on Christian's face when he is freed from the burden of sin. Like, we all know what it's like to to be free, right? But our problem is we live with that clean slate, right? But what's the problem with just having a clean slate? We mess it up again, right? About three minutes later. Well, the good news of Easter is the fact that the grave swallows up your burden and the slate gets destroyed. There is no slate for all of those people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. All we receive is the joy and the forgiveness and the hope of Easter, right? So none of us have to keep score anymore. It's not about your performance for Jesus. It's about Jesus' performance for you. So that's the end of keeping score for the Christian. So that is good news that the empty grave has a personal application for us. Romans 4.25, that's what it means when it says he was raised up for our justification, right? It's the resurrection by which God declares us righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done. So we not only want to know that Jesus died for our sins, but we want to know that Jesus's life becomes our life through the power of the resurrection, through the power of the empty grave. Now, Let's look at verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look at the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. How many times have we done that? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers 
and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So the story goes, she goes back to tell Peter and John, they they have that foot racing contest and she comes back. She finds that the, the tomb is empty. She comes across Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. And I think that that God is sovereign over the way that he tells this story. I mean, it's not just the luck of the draw that Mary is the first person to see Jesus. Like, I don't know how much you know about the New Testament, but um, all throughout the New Testament, I mean, Mary Magdalene is scandalously famous for her sins. She is a woman who was... Uh, Jesus cast seven demons out at one time. So, I don't know. I don't know if you've encountered a lot of demons, but um, I'm guessing she didn't get invited to a lot of parties, you know? So, I'm guessing that Mary Magdalene very much was an outcast. The first person to see Jesus was famous for her sins. But now she's going to be famous for experiencing the life-transforming effects of seeing Jesus. No longer is she going to be famous just because of what happened to her in the past, but she's going to be famous because she is the first eyewitness of the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. And then there's a lot of grace. This is where we see redemption in action. God is redeeming her story. Let's look at verses Um, 16 through 18. There is some real grace here for us. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my God or my father and your father to my God and your God. So it's important because God is changing the, the story of Mary Magdalene, but he's also changing the story of the disciples. It's real grace in five words. Go tell my brothers, right? Who are these brothers? They're the people that were falling asleep when Jesus was praying for the cup of God's wrath to be put away. Who were these brothers? They were the ones that were boasting, especially Peter. Like, if everyone else falls away, I'm going to stay with you to the end. But by the end of the night, Peter is cowering away in fear and throwing like a cussing fit because a little girl recognized that he was somebody that was with Jesus. Those are the people that Jesus is not ashamed to call brothers. So what this shows us is that our past failures don't keep us from seeing Jesus and our present struggles, right? The thing that he wanted his disciples to know at that moment was that everything was okay. That despite the fact of their failures, despite the fact that they had abandoned him and they had run away, he wanted his brothers to know first and foremost that he was alive and that he wanted to be with them. Right. And so I think for us, like we have to understand that there is nothing in our lives. There are no obstacles that keep us 
from seeing Jesus, right? And it's not our past struggles. It's not our current difficulties that keep us from seeing Jesus. Jesus has obliterated them all through the empty grave. Now, Jesus just wanted to be with them. He called them my brothers. You fast forward to the book of Hebrews. It says that he's not ashamed to call us all brothers. Despite all of our failures. Now, I don't know what you've gone through this week, but I guarantee you there were some ups and downs. Maybe for a lot of us, there were more downs than ups, right? It's in those moments that it's important that you understand that he's not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister. And that's all because he's defeated sin, death, and the grave. Because his righteousness is our righteousness. Your failures don't define you. The empty grave of Jesus Christ defines you. Go and tell my brothers. Now, as a, as a father, I, I never got to experience this because I was the older brother and I picked on my younger brother. But there's this dynamic at my house that I, I love to, to kind of watch. Like, um, my house is pretty competitive. So, I mean, if it's a board game, like, it's probably going to get ugly, I'll be honest with you. You know, there'll, there'll be some words that will be exchanged between my five children. And um, they just, they, you know, they just have normal sibling rivalries. They like to fight with one another sometimes. Um, but there's something unique that I love to watch as a father. It's, it's when someone outside that circle um, begins to, to try to pick on one of them and they stand up for one another. That's the picture that we kind of have of Jesus as our older brother that stands up for us, right? He's not ashamed to call us brothers despite all of our failures and all of our sins. And what Jesus is saying to all of us this morning, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. I've defeated everything that would keep you separated from me. You can draw near and enjoy the fellowship of having an older brother Represent you, and that older brother is Jesus. Okay, let's look at verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I think it's important, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these verses, but to notice a couple of things. The first words that Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. He speaks right into the heart of their fears, right into the heart of their insecurities, right into their situation. I mean, they're gathered away, like they're afraid of what is on the outside of those doors. And Jesus breaks through those doors and his first words to them are, peace be with you. And I think for us, I mean, the the resurrection, if anything, says Jesus is speaking peace over our lives. 
in the chaos of whatever you think waits for you outside of these walls. In here, in this room this morning, through the resurrection, Jesus is saying, peace be with you. Then we get another picture here where Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on them. The life that that they've received because of Jesus is is not just life that they're meant to keep for themselves, right? This isn't a private celebration. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. So the, the truth of the first resurrection is that it's not just for the people of God, but the, the, the message of the resurrection is supposed to take hold of the people of God in such a way that it spreads to other people, especially into the broken and the dark places of the world. Jesus speaks peace into the chaos of our lives and He sends us into the chaos of the world all by the power of the resurrection. And we have this promise that He's always going to be with us, that He's never going to leave us, and that He's never going to forsake us. Now let's look at verses 24 through 31. These are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of his nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, ironically, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, this section of Scripture is where we kind of get the idea of doubting Thomas. Have you heard that before? I think Thomas kind of gets a bad rap, to be honest with you. Um, I I identify a lot with Thomas. Thomas doesn't say a lot in Scripture, but when he does, he usually says something dumb. Um, so I can identify with Thomas. Um, like Jesus is trying to inform uh, his disciples in John chapter 11 that Lazarus has actually died. And uh, Thomas just pipes up and says, well, let us go and we'll die with him. Right. So he's trying to give this bad news. And Thomas just pipes up and says, yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll die with him. Well, this this is no different. I mean. Thomas is not in the room when Jesus appears to the disciples and he says, unless I have a personal interaction with Jesus and he's physically there and I can put my hands in the the nail holes in his hand and the spear mark in his side, I'm never going to believe. And I I think that um, if we just put ourselves in his shoes, I mean, This is someone that has had their hopes dashed. He walked with Jesus for three years. He thought that this was the promised Messiah. He saw him crucified on a cross. 
He had seen hundreds, if not thousands, of people crucified. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. He knew that there was no coming back from that. And so, no matter what he wanted to believe, and even though there were so many of his friends that were saying that we had seen the Lord, I mean, he was having a really hard time accepting this. And I, I mean, I don't care, like, how close we are, right? I mean, if you come to me and you tell me that you've seen somebody from the dead, I might pat you on the back and do the nice southern thing, bless your heart. But I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to buy into it. But what we see here is that the resurrection is big enough for our questions and our doubts. Right? And the doubts that we have, those doubts come to us in tender places. Right? Doubts just don't come to us independently. They usually come to a place where there's been pain. They usually come to a place where it's easier not to believe in a place where it's easier not to have hope and to have hope and be disappointed. Have you ever been there? The resurrection is meant to speak to those kinds of places. It's meant to speak to our deep down interactions with pain, our deep down interactions with doubt. And Jesus doesn't push him away because of his questions. He doesn't push him away because of his pain. He says, I want you to come to me. Put your hands right here. Feel my hands. Feel my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So, what sins do you face this morning that can't be swallowed up by the wounds that Jesus suffered on your behalf? What situation do you face outside of this room that can't be swallowed up by the fact that Jesus defeated the grave? It's meant to give us perspective as we leave here. The resurrection is big enough for our questions and our doubts. And it's meant to speak healing to us. It's, as we read in Isaiah 53, it's by His wounds that were healed. And so, there's a real personal application. When you have those places in your story where there's a disconnect or where there's doubts, you're meant to personally bring those doubts to the fact that Jesus has overcome sin and Satan and death on your behalf. And He, he invites you this morning to examine the mystery of His wounds. So what questions do you have? What doubts do you have that cannot be swallowed up by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's another implication for this. Because we have a risen Savior, because He has defeated death on our behalf, He doesn't want you to be afraid. Say it again. He doesn't want you to be afraid ever. 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 Jesus defeated Everything that stood against us. He canceled the record of wrongs that were against us on the cross. He triumphed over them through the grave. And He's meant through His resurrection to give us real hope in real life situations so that we don't have to be afraid. We don't know the future, but we do know the one that holds the future. And the one that holds the future defeated sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And that is supposed to make a difference in how we live our lives. Listen to this from Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God. He says this, Sometimes people approach me and say, I really struggle with this aspect of Christian teaching. He's talking about the resurrection. 
I like this part of Christian belief, but I don't think I can accept that part. I usually respond, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That is how the first hearers of the resurrection felt who heard the reports of the resurrection. They knew that if it was true, it meant that we can't live our lives any way that we want. But listen to this. It also meant that we don't have to be afraid of anything. Is that good news? Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. And so I'm here with all that I have this morning to say that everything has now changed. Jesus Christ came bodily into the world. He was crucified on a Roman cross and He is alive and He is ruling and reigning over this planet and He is ruling and reigning over every aspect of your life. Do not disbelieve, but believe in the God that overcame death on your behalf. Let that message shape how you walk out life this week. I don't know what you face, but there is no sin that you have committed. There is no situation that you can go into this week that Jesus can cannot swallow up by the power of the grave. That is the good news of Easter. That is the good news that the slate has been destroyed. That is the good news that He is alive and reigning over this planet. So, church, do not disbelieve. And then there's this wonderful promise. It says Thomas is blessed because he's seen and he's believed. And if you're here this morning and your heart is warm and you want to believe, you are blessed. Jesus pronounces blessing over you. You're blessed because you have seen and witnessed the power of the resurrection. The resurrection means that He's not finished with history. The resurrection means He's not finished with your story. He is personally inviting you to experience the power of the resurrection this morning. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus... I don't mean have you never prayed a prayer. I don't mean have you ever been baptized. But I mean have you seen the power of the risen Christ with the eyes of your heart? Have you known the joy of that picture of Christian having his sins washed away and swallowed up by the grave? Have you had the the experience of a newness of life that comes from living with God, not just in a religious way, but in the the power of God way that changes everything. Are you afraid this morning? All of those things, if if those things are true, Jesus invites you to believe on what He's done on the cross and make that personal for you. To respond in faith and say, I don't have any hope of relating to God apart from the person of Jesus Christ. What He's done on the cross and the fact that He's raised from the dead. And I'm not going to live my life for myself anymore. I'm going to cast my lot with Him. I'm going to let Him represent me. That's the invitation of Easter this morning. That you would not disbelieve, but you would believe and that you would experience the same life that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the good news of the gospel. And it's for all of us. And so in just a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond um, through celebrating communion. But right now, I just want to, I want to close in prayer. I want to have us personally experience the power of the resurrection. Father, right now, it's so easy to let moments like this slip away. And we ask that you would help us 
to personally see with the eyes of our hearts Jesus raised from the dead on our behalf. I pray that that would speak to fear. I pray that that would speak to insecurity. I pray that that would speak to all the uncertainty that exists in our lives and that we would experience life. Father, show us more and more of Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.